Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high caliber fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. And to that end, on today's podcast, I had a great conversation with Terry Grondek-Jones. Terry is a high-performance coach and business advisor at Mindset Consulting and for Pareto Systems. I've known Terry for a long time. And in this episode, we discussed, among other things, the concept of Kaizen, which in my view means change is good. So Kai is change, Zen is good, change is good. Avoiding the status quo, avoiding the plateau, it's a study. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or topics you'd like to hear in this podcast in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Okay, a special treat on the Always On podcast, focusing on the theme of Kaizen. And my own personal interpretation of that is change is good. Kai is change. Zen is good. And this was prompted by a recent consultation that I had with one of our coaches, Terry Grondek-Jones. Terry has been in the professional development space for going on 30 years, and a big chunk of that has been spent as a performance coach for some of the most respected teams in the financial services space. And one of the things I really admire about Terry is not just the caliber of clients that gravitate to him, but the fact that they never leave. These coaches are, or sorry, these clients are so enlightened and so inspired by Terry's approach that they don't think in terms of checking boxes or getting to a finish line. They view Terry as being indispensable to their business. And uh, again, Terry and I had a recent consultation that prompted uh, this conversation. And I'm very, very glad to have you uh, on the Always On podcast, Terry. So thanks for being here. Well, I'm proud to be one of the many uh, fourth string guests that you've uh, finally decided to invite on, Duncan. So thanks very much. <laughs> fourth string. Uh, no, I think you're uh, higher than that. And Terry, I get nothing but such incredible feedback from the teams that work with you. Uh, and it's not just because of your technical ability. It's just your also your skills at just developing deep chemistry uh, with these. And then you bring me in periodically to just combine our uh, abilities in the areas of strategic planning and branding and refining and optimizing and sometimes reimagining the concept of growth. And in a recent consultation, uh, we talked to a team that you've been working with for, it's got to be years now, right? Yeah. And uh, they're just so respectful and I, you know, I've often said that the teams with the highest level of ability also tend to have the highest levels of humility, which means they respect an outside set of eyes and the contributions made by a professional development and performance coach. But one of the things we were talking about with this team was the concept of what is involved in growing up market. So consistently attracting very attractive clients and all the considerations that go into that, that include 
sometimes growing down and either automating certain relationships, allocating certain relationships to different people on the bench, or in some cases, disassociating. And that's such a fascinating dimension to growth and is often counterintuitive. So I want to start there with some of your insights around what growing up market and growing down can entail. First of all, I just want to address this this team. You started the conversation and and uh, and I want to speak to what are the best teams for me to work with, Duncan? And unsurprisingly, uh, they're master implementers. They, they don't overthink it. There's nothing worse, and I'm sure a financial advisor can re- relate to this as well too, than uh, wanting to begin implementation of a, of a great financial plan with a client, or in my case, uh, coaching on business development that uh, I, I know are going to impact their practice in a great way. Uh, and and when it's when the philosoph- philosophical alignment isn't there, you spend your time trying to convince somebody that it's the right thing to do and, and then have to work on the implementation, whereas the people that have philosophical alignment with you already they're just say, okay, t- Terry, tell me what to do, and, and we'll go do it. And this is one of those teams, and, and not to say that they're 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 yes men, far from it, but they're aggressive implementers in in, in the best way. And I can remember uh, with this team, Duncan, early in the game when I was I was probably belaboring a point, <laughs> to be honest with you, because uh, I do that sometimes. Uh, and anyway, there was a pause, and and, and finally one of the guy uh, says, uh, Terry, and I said, yeah, yeah, and he goes we get it we just want to go faster <laughs> and i was like oh uh, and by the way nobody ever says i want to go faster uh in the Pareto systems program it, it's happened a couple of times to be fair but usually about a month later they come back and they say okay it's too fast can we go slower again uh why is that well it's, it's one of those programs um although it's based on on best practices and you will get results if you implement them that's not on trial uh some people are better at, at doing that than others uh, that's for sure. And and that's deceptive too, because sometimes, and go down a little rabbit hole here, to, sometimes you, uh, more in my early days, or you'd get sort of sucked into the feedback you're getting from a great client and we're moving quickly through the program. And, and all of a sudden you take a breather and start checking and double checking what's been worked on. And, and it's just like, yeah, as much as they were great conversations we were having with the client, not a whole lot was getting done. So you got to backtrack uh, and backfill the work that, that has already been done sometimes. And I'm thinking of another guy too, Duncan. Uh, sometimes sometimes your your gut instinct about what a person or a client is going to be like is completely wrong. Uh, and I've been doing this for a number of years, as you mentioned at the top of the show. And I remember one guy, I was, uh, I was talking about the introduction process with him. And I couldn't, it was like my, maybe my first or second conversation with this guy, Ron, and I, I, there was zero f- feedback throughout the entire call. And I, I would wait for the, the normal cues you'd get and things, and they weren't happening. And finally, I hung up with the guy after, you know, digging deeper, the best introduction process talk I could give. And I just thought, I, I can't talk to this guy again. He's just sucking the life right out of me. There's no, there's it's, it's like I was talking to dead air. Anyway, I get back on the on the call with the guy two weeks later. Uh, he says, yeah, Terry, I, uh, I tried that introduction process with a couple of clients and I got two referrals out of it. Uh, yeah, it really works. I'm just like, what? You actually did it? And by the way, I've since worked with the guy for over 10 years. He's one of those animal implementers in, in the best way. He'll, he'll come back and say, I did it. This happened. 
And just to illustrate, there's all kinds of different clients and, uh, you know, not unsurprisingly that the ones that implement at the end of the day, this team that we started talking about, Duncan, is, is fantastic in that way. It's been going so well for them and, and they've been implementing uh, almost 100% of the Pareto Systems program. Uh, we're now working on the minor adjustments uh, that will lead to major improvements. And it's getting to a point that it's getting pretty lucrative for them uh, in a great way. And they want to go further upscale. Yeah, and that's a very exciting place to be. And I just do want to touch on that very, very important distinction uh, between comprehension for a concept and implementation of a concept. And what's really revealing is that, and I know this, for the teams that you consult with, they never say to you, uh, Terry, we've heard this idea before. They, they just talk in terms of how can I translate this concept into results? Sometimes I do hear that, by the way. And it's like, hey, Terry, we, you know, we've heard this before and I'll go, so are you doing? It's like, well, no, but we've heard it. Okay, perfect, perfect. So they're, that's the bridge to implementation. And it's interesting, you know, when we do a gap analysis for a team and we reveal six to eight gaps and we address them, Often what happens is it reveals another six to eight gaps. And that is ultimately progress that, that speaks to the fact that these are about refinements and optimization. So, okay, so let's get into the weeds a little bit. I do want to revisit some of the key points in the concept of growing up market and growing down. And the first thing, and this is, again, very, very much 101 level, but it can't be overlooked, is that once there's buy-in in the team that, okay, there are some clients that are not a good fit, that are not going to become our ideal client after they've developed that ideal client profile, now we have to decide what we're going to do with them. And in this case, this team has about uh, 30 clients uh, that they're going to respectfully and professionally disassociate from. So we worked on messaging and positioning. Again, very respectful positioning around, I'm doing you a disservice by maintaining the status quo. When the advisor realizes, look, a, a, one of my C clients is somebody else's A client, where whether it's somebody else on my team or somebody else uh, in the field, their client experience can be elevated. What was interesting about this conversation was the fact that we talked to the, about the other addressable audience. And that is telling the clients that are going to remain that this is happening and how it impacts them, that we've made the decision to grow down, to grow down our client count so that we could elevate the client experience. And the reaction that the team had to that positioning, I mean, it was palpable, very, very positive. And we've seen teams that are further down the road how clients respond to that. It, it activates that professional scarcity among other uh, dynamics and energy. So I'd love your... Uh, you well, just I wanted to talk about, you mentioned the, the 30 clients and you know, that's, that's a pretty conservative problem uh, when it comes to uh, right-sizing. I mean, sometimes it's hundreds. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, if it's 30 or, or it's hundreds, there can be a reluctance to get at it. Uh, this team is as great as they are at implementing. There's a bit of a logjam uh, for the the clients being respectfully uh, disassociated with, and 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 to me, once there's buy-in from a team and and agreement 
that these people are are not a fit. Okay, uh, quite frankly, uh, we hardly ever talk to them. Is something I hear about. I hear from advisors far too often. I don't think that's particularly uh, the most attractive thing I've ever heard when somebody says uh, in in defense of keeping clients. Oh, we hardly ever talk to them. It's like, well, well isn't that nice? Uh, anyway, they're probably way better served somewhere else. Uh, from a branding perspective, they want to go more upscale, but they're carrying around these lower tier clients that don't represent that at all. So to me, the only legitimate reason uh, to be a little hesitant is is a revenue one, mm -hmm. right? It, yeah, it's, Terry, it's 2%, but it's my 2%. 100%, I get that. But there's even a solution there. There's, uh, if you know what has to be done and, and you're sensitive about the revenue, and again, I get that and I respect that, let's identify how many new AA clients, that's assets and attitude, ideal clients it would take to equal uh, X number of C clients or D clients. And usually the math is, you know, it's 30 D clients yeah. or or 15 C clients or whatever it is. So you, you, you pick the ones that are probably going to be better served somewhere else because you know they are. Some young, hungry advisors got all time in the world for them. Uh, you get the letters done. You find out where they're going, of course. Then as soon as you bring on that new double A, uh, you pull the trigger and those 15 go out. Your new client goes on. And as we said to this team, Duncan, when you were on the call, it's just like a warm breeze going through your bank account. And the neat thing about it is, however many C or D clients you have that you need to deal with, uh, it's not a life sentence. You're going to be done this exercise in about however many uh, new AA clients you have, however many, but it'll be over. You're never going to look back. You're going you're gonna to say to yourself, why didn't I do this 15 years ago? I can guarantee it. Not only from the freed up time, energy, and resources. And on that note, I want you to think about the sentiment that I'm not even really talking to these people. And when I hear that, I say, well, how about your front lines? And they'll be on the call, of course. And, uh, and I'll say, you know, Bob uh, and Marsha, are you talking to these people? It's like all the time. They, they take up more time than any other class of clientele. It's like, well, isn't that interesting? Uh, and I said, you know what, Jim? Uh, every time Bob and Marsha are talking to one of these C or D clients calling in, guess who they're not talking to? one of your double A's and triple A's and, and nurturing uh, that group and, and leading that group towards advocacy. So I want you to think about that. And, and I want everybody to think about right-sizing reluctance and, 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 and the valid reason of, of revenue and how to address that. So there's a number of ways you can go about this, uh, but you really have to get at, you know, and the, and the branding issue, as I mentioned, Duncan, too. You can't go around saying, you know, I deal with a small group of successful families and, and, and businesses. If it's not true, and you have 150 C clients, you know, well, well you can, but you shouldn't do that, right? Now, it's interesting, uh, many teams, that reluctance you're talking about stems from the fact that these 15 or 30 clients that are going to be respectfully right-sized are often long-term relationships yeah. who came on board in the early stages of the business, or sure. they're, they're people who are introduced to the team uh, by substantial clients. It could be family members, friends, whatever the case may be. And sometimes the reluctance is that some of those people are noisy yep. and it might reverberate back to some adverse perceptions. So how do you address that? So uh, we have in, in our classification matrix, a very special category called AF. And that is a, a, a category that is, it is not only for the special relationships of your best clients, uh, your double A, triple A client calls you and says, listen, I'm uh, hoping you're looking, uh, you'll look after my granddaughter. 
she doesn't have very much money, but she just started college. It would mean the world if you looked after. Uh, and the correct answer there is, I can't wait to meet her, right? She goes into the AF category. That's what it's for. Uh, it's also for special relationships. You know, your your college buddy who took you on when nobody else would. But when I'm talking about this with advisors, I say, I want you to be very sparing about who you put in there. It's not some catch-all for problems you don't want to deal with. It's for special relationships that aren't going anywhere, like your mother-in-law, your college buddy, if it's not going, whatever. So when I'm talking about C and D clients, uh, I don't want to be tripping over stories. I don't want you saying, yeah, Terry, you know, but this C guy, you know, uh, he helped me, you know, canvas for the orphans when we were, we were you know, in college and blah, and say, all right, put him in the AF gutter uh, or whatever it happens to be. Get all those stories out of there and put them in the AF. If they're valid stories and what you have left is uh, a problem that needs to be uh, addressed. And your question, Duncan, about, you know, that reluctance or what might happen uh, is largely an overblown fear, in my experience anyway, and it's seldom manifest. Am I going to say that somebody's not going to call call you up and say, you know, hey, listen, I, I thought I've been working with you for 20. It may happen. But Duncan, when we were on that call, this issue came up and you mentioned that wonderful uh, fact or analogy called a third, a third and a third. Do you remember that part of the conversation? Maybe you I can do. point that out because I thought it was terrific for this for this subject. Well, and I, yeah, I definitely want to do that. I, I do want to pounce on something that I think is very, very key because it did come up here and has come up in other consultations is that part of the um, exercise is just revisiting the ideal client profile. Like yeah. who is the ideal client? Who is the most deserving client? Who is the client where there's zero dread when you see their number on the call display it's very, very lucrative and directionally, it's going to be very, very productive and promising. It's common for a lot of these teams to jump to a minimum. And, and that'll be the, the top of the criterion in terms of, okay, this is our ideal client. And again, we're very practical, but we, in the spirit of not sounding like every other advisor who talks in terms of minimum and is still living in that mindset of... Yeah book of business, uh, we'd like to talk about the alignment of interests. What are the complexity of the client's needs now and in the future? What are some of the potential unmet needs that will develop in time? And how does that align with the advisor's value and process? And then, of course, it gets into the socioeconomics, the demographics. So where are they in their life? What stage? What age? What do they do for a living? And what do they aspire to? All of that qualitative is just as important as the quantitative. So we generally say, this is the ideal client and all of these qualities and elements tend to cascade down to a number. So instead of leading with the number, it's punctuated uh, with a number. And that's just more attractive. And I think it's more easy to conceptualize and socialize in the spirit of advocacy. Now, the, the concept of the third, a third and a third uh, generally comes down to, and if you know, in your mind's eye, you can see that Venn diagram. There's the clients who need you, the clients who deserve you, and right in between, there's the movable middle in the interlude. Uh, it's really good as an exercise for a team to just create that Venn diagram as a placeholder and said, okay, who fits in these categories? And let's go through the exercise of just saying, okay, uh, are we a good fit? And, you know, what is the upside potential of this relationship? 
And again, to your point, and I know this team really responded to the fact where you said, I think we both said, how many of the clients in the need category does it take in terms of revenue, hassle factor, and all the other elements? It, it, the disparity is pretty substantial. When you mentioned that third, a third, and a third, I, I immediately thought uh, sort of another spin on that. Like, you know, there's so many different, op, you know, versions of the 80-20. Uh, and, and, and the third, a third, a third is almost what happens when you uh, respectfully right-size, uh, respectfully disassociate with the, the clients that you need to the C's and D's. And, and, and here's the spin on it in this case. About a third, I think that's even probably a little high, uh, may call you and say, uh, listen, what's going on? We we don't want to leave something along those lines. And you're having a conversation with them and you say, well, it's about philosophical alignment. It's where our strategies are going. And they might even say, well, I didn't know that. I mean, we have $2 million at Schwab down the street. Why didn't you say, you know, that, that actually has happened uh, more times than they care to count. So guess what? They find more money. So let's just call that a third of people that they're, you know, might fight a little uh, in a good way. A third in the middle, they won't, you will never hear from them. It's, it's about the same reaction as when your cable bill goes up and you you, you raise your right eyebrow a little and you go, ah, 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 you say to yourself, and then you get on with your day. That's what happens. You'll never hear from them. Uh, mark my words on that. And then you might have some people get upset. And again, a third's probably a little high. It might be a handful, if that. Sometimes it's not at all. And listen, if somebody does get their knickers in, their, in a knot, as they say across the pond, uh, and they call you, well, address it. And what's this all about? It's about how who we can properly serve. It's about philosophical alignment and where our business is going. You can't fault somebody uh, for changing uh, their value proposition and and their business. And that's what this is all about. It's not because you're greedier now and, and you're you're kicking people to the curb. Um, and, and, and the cold hard reality is, and this is not a bad thing, is those people that are respectfully disassociated with, and I say those words specific words intentionally, I want to make a really good point about this, uh, will ironically be better served where they end up. Because you're not talking to them very much. Uh, the new person will certainly that take them on will have lots more time from them. It's not a good fit for you. It's not a good fit for them. That's the way you need to talk about it. But to your point, Duncan, earlier, we don't, the last, the last thing we need in this business, people go around talking about firing clients. So when I'm talking to clients about this and they use that language, uh, and they they kick and screen and groan that I'm just talking about semantics here. I said I don't want you to use the term firing clients. That's a lot. I know it's just me and you on the phone right now, and your clients are on here. But let's pretend they are. Let's talk about this. Uh, what it is? It's a respectful disassociation, um, and and that's if you want to get into the the paradigm shift and the proper mindset of what this is all about. Let's just use proper language, even if it's just you and your coach, right? Okay, so I'm really glad you clarified that because I forgot about that little uh, nuance in the conversation. And it's interesting because, yes, there are unintended consequences and there are silver linings. Your point about the front line, who's generally dealing with the hassle factor, they're generally liberated where they're like, okay, thank you for doing this because you're freeing up some of my time and bandwidth and, frankly, energy. So there's a positive there. But things that are revealed in the exercise when it's really well thought through and really professionally executed is you get these people who reveal things to you where they say, I didn't know you did all this. It didn't occur to me that I should empower you fully. And, and that's a very refreshing rejuvenation in the relationship. 
Then you have some of the ambivalent who are like, yeah, you're right. This this is probably a good time to wind this. It's just a very, very refreshing exercise. So uh, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the sort of the concept of the reframe and, and some of the, the sort of things that can uh, offshoot from this. Uh, we talked to this team about how they engage with strategic partners. Yeah. And again, some of it's semantics, but to your point, I mean, we believe that the words matter, the positioning matters, and uh, we don't want these teams to in any way, shape, or form sound like everyone else. Drawing from the jargon and the lexicon of those who are sort of in the status quo. And, and the point here is that we were talking about COIs and we said, okay, so the strategic partners that you work with, let's not think of them as centers of influence because again, if the client's listening in, how do they benefit from that? That just means it's a referral source. It's a form of networking. Okay. Fair enough. It's you're, 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 you've got a business development driver here, but how does that benefit the client? And how does that also contribute to the concept that the advisors developed intellectual property. It's not just good intentions. They've actually cracked the code. They've got a process. It's well thought through. It's curated. It's panoramic and all-encompassing. And I found that this team, not surprisingly, really responded to that. When we said, let's, let's stop thinking of them as COIs. Let's stop telling the world that you will refer clients out if they need a professional service provider in any form. Let's start talking about how we engage these people into the process and the client experience and how we develop this vast network of professional service providers. And of course, VAST is that acronym, value-added support team. But the, the net net here is it's not me just being a good person with good intentions referring out when there's a need. It's more about, no, 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 I'm the personal CFO I'm the keystone of the relationship. I will engage these people into the process so the client has the complete picture. I found the team really I responded that. to that little uh, refinement. It's so good. I mean, it, it, it's just absolutely attractive. Who, who wouldn't want to hear that? You could have your client on the phone. Uh, and, and I mean, as a client, you'd, you'd want an advisor with that big fat Rolodex or, or vast, as you call it, Duncan, uh, who has access to a variety of high, highly vetted professionals they're almost always a shoe in in terms of fantastic uh service uh this that you can take advantage of so you always have the complete picture I and mean, it's, it's such an attractive language it's no wonder this team uh ate it up i mean i did too uh, it, it was great to hear it so that's why it's great to have you on the call now and then just to you know re reinforce some of the themes but also put your own you know duncan spin on it uh and, and it's wonderful to have you on a call when that happens and, and this team was no different. Now, getting back to this team for a second, Duncan, and, and numbers, it's interesting. This team is, is so up there that their C&D client would be a great AA or AAA for a lot of teams, right? I mean, these are the people we're talking about, this 30. But uh, the, the head guy there uh, went all rain man, this is his word, on a bunch of spreadsheets. Um, and he figured out that there's only so many hours in the day in terms of the money he wanted to make and the, the number of times that he needed to meet with these these people. And this is the, the fun part too, the, the Rain Man part uh, for him. He goes, because he even factored in the amount of time he would need to spend on their AFs. 
uh, which is that inner circle of people that are probably not the best fit for you asset wise because it's the, the next generation of the triple A's and double A's. Hey, but listen, that's the cost of doing business to work with these high end clients is you need to work with the people that are intimate to them, even if it may not be a fit. So we figured there weren't enough hours in the day and this was spawning this conversation. Now, this team also enjoys a relationship with a, quite a number of CPAs uh, and uh, he's a huge fan of Brian Gallery from First Trust. Uh, they're devotees, so he's been practicing those philosophies for years. He's got a service matrix, Duncan, uh, for his uh, his vast, if you will, your value-added support team. And he gets prompts on his calendar to reach out and have a social call with these CPAs or to swing by uh, and drop off uh, you know, a box lunch one day just in case the phone's getting a little heavy or whatever the situation happens to be. He's got this all plugged into his CRM, uh, and he does a great job at it. So uh, on this conversation we were having with uh, Duncan, he was talking, you're, you were sort of just doing some role-playing, some language with one of these CPAs. And lo and behold, 24 hours later, I get a call from this guy, and he says, yeah, I was trying out some of the language that Duncan was sharing with us on the call, you know, back to the top of the call, Duncan, about people that just implement without thinking about it. And he was talking about going more upscale. He said he, it wasn't the, the most uh, attractive effort there. He was a little crude in places, and he trying this for the first time. Guess what the CPA said? She said, I'm thinking about doing the same thing, she says to him. And now the hook is set, and he just he just wants to polish. We're working on polishing his scripting. I don't know if you remember some of the things you said to him uh, on the call in terms of talking points, Duncan. Uh, I, re I seem to recall fish jumping in the boat, and we're you know, we're kind of a victim of our own success. And it was along those and it was so good. Uh, but anyway, that's, he went out there and tried that within 24 hours. I forgot to share that with you. Oh, uh, that's terrific. Have you ever considered launching your own podcast? Not sure how to start? Outsource it to the best in the business. We did. Our trusted partners at Proudmouth have a turnkey process to take care of everything. Add predictability to your marketing efforts. Visit them today at proudmouth.com. Do you aspire to consistently attract and keep great clients while driving the enterprise value of your business? Do you want to achieve professional contrast by supplementing your technical ability with a consistent client experience driven by best practices? The Blue Square Toolkit brings the proven Pareto Systems philosophy and process to life in a way that tethers your team so that you can competitor-proof your clients, gain their full empowerment, and attract quality referrals, all while restoring liberation and order in your life and all in an intuitive, easy to use turnkey solution. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14 day free trial today. You know, the thing about implementers is when it's positioned honorably, it's not a tactic yeah. and it's win-win. The mindset is done is better than perfect. I will refine and optimize this in real time, not in isolation, uh, hypothetically or theoretically. Let me get it out there, get a reaction from somebody, get to listen to myself. By the fifth, sixth, tenth time, uh, it will be absolutely as natural as breathing. 
So, so that's one of the many benefits of implementation. Uh, Terry, I wanted to ask you, you know, in the last three years, the impact and the relevance of a financial professional in a client's life has expanded qualitatively where they're wearing a lot of hats, you know, in terms of a bit of life coaching, conversations around parenting as their clients, kids get a little older and the, the, the wins and the consequences get a little bit bigger. And uh, I'm just wondering about your perspective around giving clients permission like giving them permission to disassociate from certain clients, giving them permission to buy in. Look, the business is supposed to serve your life, not the other way around. And by the way, you and I had that uh, other consultation last week on branding with that team. Right after that, I had a conversation with the team and I told them, I want you to set a goal to have 52 long weekends. And I want you in the next five years to set a goal to have a six month sabbatical where you really take off. So it's not the Barry show anymore. Your clients have been reintroduced to the practice and the process where they actually really appreciate you and your people even that much more. Do you find yourself uh, going deeper into some of that emotional and qualitative uh, elements in your client relationship? A hundred percent. And sometimes it's almost you you need to help advisors understand how valuable they are and uh you in your first book duncan you talk about seven pillars one process and roughly 85 things that advisors do you know it's not surprising that the bulk of uh newly acquired clients in my world largely come from investment centric advisors and that's where they've hung their shingle uh, and gosh, that's getting a little stale, isn't it? Uh, and they hear about one of these 85 things uh, advisor that has a vast that, uh, you know, engages uh, highly vetted professionals into their clients' lives. So they always have the complete picture and and the positioning of the, you know, the quote unquote family office. And you start to see that as soon as a client starts bragging about this to somebody else, that has an investor-centric advisors, well, it's like night and day in terms of waking up that day that you largely had been indifferent about your advisor. You didn't know it until you heard somebody else and what they had in their corner. And all of a sudden, the grass is a little greener. So it's just a matter of time before these investment-centric clients start hearing about a, a different breed of advisor. And those are, those are Pareto clients, Duncan. If they're not there already wanting to do better, we're, we're making them and helping them convert that or announcing to the world that they are that. They just haven't done a very good job at uh, branding and, and getting the message out there. But man, if uh, you're just investment-centric these days, it's it really is just a matter of time. The writing's on the wall about uh, your clients and we all know how many times your clients are getting hit on every single week by uh, competitor forces and uh and yeah so you know what kind of a wall have you built around them and and what kind of ways have you positioned yourself as a family office uh so anyway, just some thoughts on that and you know part of my job duncan is, is helping advise or just see how wonderful and special that is and helping them get the word out there right well, and it's so rejuvenational and it's interesting, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask a team early in the relationship is just what makes you different? 
Just, just answer that for me. What makes you different? And, you know, generally there's a long pause and they just start listing things off. Service, white glove, Ritz-Carlton levels, concierge level service, uh, planning, advice, uh, trust, integrity. And it's just this sort of listing of intentions. When, when we help them make the connection that, pl no, planning is part of your process. Advice is part of your process. Service and client experience is part of your process. Let's get your clients bought in to the thing that you've created that I can only get from you as an intellectual property, as a fee-for-service professional. And then to hear uh, teams mirror that back on us later on in the consultation. Yeah. It's very, very powerful. And the irony is, it's not like they're any better at what they do in terms of their technical ability. The difference is they're just appreciated more. The, the, the amnesia and the loyalty fatigue doesn't develop as quickly and uh, they're easier to describe. You know, when we talk about pro productivity and, and production in this business, and by the way, that's a lot. <laughs> Go figure. Um, the three pillars of least resistance are obviously introductions from your top clients. It doesn't get easier than that in terms of somebody coming in the door. Go see Duncan. He's great. All right, I will. Pillar number two, your VAST, your value-added support team, your advocates. CPAs, estate planning, anybody that has access to people with wealth uh, can be a huge source of new revenue for you. Pillar number three, this is what you were to talk about, Duncan, is your natural network and how you handle those moments in your life on street level where you run into somebody that maybe it just starts as simply as, hey, what do you do for What do you do, Terry? What do you do for a living? Um, and, and how you handle that is everything. Uh, it's, it's absolutely mind boggling to me. It's not so much mind boggling anymore because I, I hear it every other day, but uh, how few people have that patter down pat. So you come across in a reasonably attractive way when somebody asks you how, what you do for a living. And then from there, what to do to actually convert it in a way you don't come across as a crass salesperson. So this is one of the things we work on and it's a big bear for a lot of people. And we always role play this Duncan in our one-on-one -on -one relationships and stuff. And I, I just, I'm thinking of this story right now. I just want to share with you. It's so funny. It was a, uh, it was, it was a guy and a girl team, uh, a man and, and a woman. And, uh, and I said, I want to start this conversation today about uh, your natural network and how you handle those moments on street level, when somebody asks you what for your living. So I want to start right this. I want to see where you're at right now. Let's just get a sense of where you're at right now. And I started with the woman. I'll call her Marsha again. Marsha is my role play name for the I'll say, I say, Marsha, uh, let's just put yourself in that situation. I say, and we've just met. And I say, so what, Marsha, what do you do for a living? And she says, I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can't say that this is like this is a real life role play you can't excuse yourself and come back a week later when you practice it and i said but let's just use this as a teaching moment for how pivotal these moments are and man you better be prepared because you can't say i'm not ready for this and then circle back a week later because the, the cocktail party will be over right <laughs> well it's funny because the you know in charming most of the teams we work with virtually all of them are so understated. They don't like to toot their own horns. There's no bravado. There's no salesmanship to your point. And they do tend to be their own best kept secret. And Marsha, it's like, Marsha, you've had 20 years to work on this. I mean, yeah. 
you want to you want an hour or do you want to call me back and That's come up with something? Funny. but but you know it's funny how freeing it is because they're always good messengers and correct me if i'm wrong but didn't you put somebody on the spot like that and he said i'm a financial advisor for rich people <laughs> uh then maybe the story where uh this gentleman a colleague of mine actually but uh every time she tells the story i love it uh and it was basically this uh, client of hers that knew this prospective client was going to be at this party uh, he had been sort of dripping on this guy, part of the sales term for for years, uh, never got any traction, but he knew he was going to be there. And he literally finally got into a corner with the guy and he says, ah, so I hear you're a financial advisor, like the perfect setup. Right. And the guy uh, says, uh, so do you have a minimum? And uh, and the advisor, you know what he said? He said, no. <laughs> and he said, as soon as I said it, I knew it was the wrong thing to say. And it's the last thing an ultra high net worth person hears from a financial advisor. No, I'll take anybody on. Right? Just, just, uh, <laughs> so yeah, you got you got to be ready for those moments. One of the many things we work on in the Pareto Systems program, we're, we're veering into different areas today, Duncan. But these are all things that tie into our our starting point today, which is uh, what it takes to get into that space where you're literally at a point now where you're. Uh, saying, well, you know, I, I have these 30, what are now to me, C, C and D clients, uh, and I really want to raise the bar yet again. And I want to get that message out there. I want the people in my vast to know about who I'm all about now. And I just I just love that first time that my client tried the language out on a CPA. She literally says to him, we're thinking of doing the same thing. Yeah, it's just it's infectious, right? Uh, and there's just so much reluctance to go there. There's such a fear about that. Uh, unblazed trail and largely it is it is unblazed uh, in a lot of sense because people stick in the status quo so, so many times but that was his first taste of getting into that sort of trailblazing and it's like and now now there's no going back uh, and, and since you got on the call Duncan they're a whole lot more uh, motivated now to address those 30 clients that need to be respectfully disassociated with I'm hoping uh, that uh, when we meet next but I guess it's about a week from now I'm going to get a good report on that because it was getting to the point with me, I was, I was, I kept asking them about it, and I said to one of the guys, "I said, aren't you tired about me asking about this every couple of weeks? I'd be tired of it <clears throat> anyway." So you, you gave a nice breath of fresh air, uh, and that's one of the nice things about having you in on on a call. It's like a tag team, right? Yeah, exactly. Put me in, coach. Yeah. Um, but you know, I got to tell you something about that minimum because I had a consultation with an advisor. Um, he got introduced to a very substantial person. And he called me after the initial phone call with this prospective client. And he, he had this sort of self-doubt about merit and worthiness to be at this level. And I said to him, you've earned the right. And uh, obviously, the advocate feels the same way. But he felt himself sort of pressing a little bit on the call. And then the prospective client said to him, uh, what's your minimum? And he kind of fumbled with that a little bit and then deferred and said, um, you know, well, let's get together and we'll get into the weeds on some of these things, uh, you know, follow the agenda and so on. Anyway, I just said to him, I said, if when you meet with this prospective client in person, if they spring that on you again, just say your own version of this, just say, you know, it's a very good question. And I, I know that's a lot of advisors, how they position themselves uh, we don't think that way. We don't think in terms of minimums because we really focus on the lifetime value of the client relationship. 
We only accept new clients that are introduced to us. We have second and third generation clients. And it's all about fit. If there's compatibility, if there's chemistry over the lifetime of that relationship and the client's evolving needs. So yes, our clients have complex needs. Yes, our clients are pretty far down the track in terms of their uh, assets that they've acquired. Uh, but we don't we don't think like that in terms of a minimum. And he did his own version of that with the prospective client. And it, it he said it changed the energy in the room. Totally. So I felt better. I could see the prospective client change. He leaned in a little bit more, was a little bit more engaged. And, you know, we've been saying this for years, Terry. You know, who views it as an accomplishment when you bring on a new client? Like, is it you running around your office getting high fives because you closed the deal? Or is it the prospective client celebrating because in their in their inside voice, they're saying, finally, I've found the right team to address my needs now and in the future. Finally, this is what I've been looking for. The, the, the energy of an alignment of interest is you're, after the signing ceremony, you're both excited about where it's going. And that is engineered by how you conduct yourself. So um, never yeah, throw a number at anybody when they ask you what your minimum is, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, good friend of mine, Dan, with First Trust, his response is, uh, "Well, actually, we have no maximums." <laughs> oh, that's funny. It is very, very good. And again, I, it's funny. Uh, we, I, I coach to very something similar that you. I, I like the way you said that. By the way, they're you know they're they're a little farther down the track. They're successful families, successful businesses. I mean, that would be typical. But sometimes when I when I coach on you know somebody asking you, do you have a minimum? Because a lot of advisors, you can also say, well. Uh, I guess we more have a an ideal client profile, and then they can start to get into some of that language as well too. That 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 works so well with what you said at Duncan. Well, and by the time you you finish, you haven't said a number, but you, you painted a picture that, yeah, it's at least five million. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, and we're both huge fran uh, fans of Jim Rohn, and we've learned so much from uh, his teaching over the years. Sure. But you know, how he would position, you know, being attractive to the marketplace and creating this aspirational environment where people aspire to want to be part yeah. of your community. Uh, that's not created with uh, salesmanship. It's created by a sense of belonging. Like, I want to be part of this. And um, that is very, very uh, unique. I still use that Jim Rohn uh, attractive to the marketplace uh, in my coaching today. It, it's never growing old. And he would talk about that. He'd say uh, he'd get on about uh, when people make, uh, you know, such and such a, an hour. You, you know, you don't get paid by the hour. He goes, that was the case. You could just stay at home and they send you a check. You get paid for how attractive you are to the marketplace. And the more attractive you are, the more money you make. And it's just like, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And it, it, it applies in this world as well, too, doesn't it? And didn't he say, uh, it's a ladder? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can wait until somebody lowers down the rope and you're going to hope that they'll pull you up or you just climb the ladder. Just climb the ladder. If anybody's know. listening today and you don't know who Jim Rohn is, uh, look him up. He's on YouTube. There's lots of videos. The guy's, the guy's amazing. Uh, I once sent a client, do uh, you remember uh, Mike in California, Duncan? I once yeah, yeah. sent him a set of Jim Rohn tapes. This is obviously in the 90s because they were cassette tapes. And he confessed to me later, he goes, I almost don't want to tell you this, Terry goes, but those tapes were almost worth the entire price of the coaching program. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have stayed at home. 
Yeah, exactly. Collected the check. But that, that's uh, yeah. the power of Jim, right? And, and, and you know, Mike uh, at the time was managing about, you know, 400 million. That was in the 90s. I have no idea what he is now. He's probably yeah. well over a billion. Uh, there's probably yeah. another comma involved for sure. Yeah, Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, uh, timeless. And you'll love this. Um, I had a conversation last week with a client who also was introduced to uh, Zig Ziglar very early. Oh, in my gosh. So he went through all the Zigisms, right? Prime that pump, and uh, that that's that's good stuff too. Um, Only floss the teeth you want to keep. Exactly. Hey, good <laughs> good good reminder. Uh, any closing comments, Terry? No, I just I can't believe uh, the time's up already. One minor comment on the uh, always on branding. I, I uh, when I, when the, the the podcast was first introduced, I, I couldn't sleep one night. It's about three o'clock and. And uh, it, oh, the always on. I, you know, I'll, I'll find a friend three o'clock, and and uh, it wasn't on. I could only find helpful reruns on YouTube. But anyway, it's a minor thing. We've we've toyed with the idea of almost always on, uh, but you know what, Terry, you've earned the right. Just text me if it's three a.m. Text me, and uh, I'll get on the call with you. We can. I love it. it. Oh, it was a lot of fun, Duncan. I enjoy your your podcast uh, very much, and uh, I hope to see you uh, on on a future client call of mine uh, again soon. Yeah, by all means, thank you. I know you're a busy guy, so thanks for carving out some time. And I'm sure you'll have many of your long-term clients that will uh, chime in uh, and tell you how much they enjoyed this as well. So thanks very much. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.